All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Stream 3000 podcast. I am here with Tom from Level 30 Games, and uh, he's a YouTube content creator, a passionate gamer. Tom, if you could just tell our audience a little bit about Level 30 Games and the content that you're making so that they can get familiar with that. Wow, that was quite the introduction. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, passionate, I don't think, doesn't really begin to describe it. Um, I mean, Level 30 Games was born from a uh, viewpoint of an adult gamer that um, kind of got a little, I don't want to say fed up, but sick and tired of, of hearing video game reviews from the perspective of someone whose full-time job it is to sit down, play through a game as quickly as possible, and give some feedback on it. Uh, and so I wanted to take the approach of, okay, um, you know, I just, I just turned 35 this March. Um, you know, I, I have a full-time job. I'm a high school media teacher. And so, you know, my average work week is, is 60 to 70 hours realistically. Um, and so I don't have time to sit down and play through, you know, a hundred hours of a game. And, um, I, I just kind of want to know, is this game going to be worth my time in a roundabout way that suits my lifestyle? And so, um, I just kind of hit the ground running with some early concepts and uh, slowly over the course of a year or two built up to bring on a few people to help out. And um, we branched out to do things like uh, podcasts and some Let's Plays. Uh, we've done some new stuff. So we've, we've kind of expanded our offerings a little bit. Man, I, I, I just want to say I really resonate with that because I think a lot of gaming content is made for, you know, the very hardcore gamers that can dedicate a lot of time to gaming and, uh, you know, for myself as well, working with a family, doing some school, it's hard to get in a lot of time for that. You know, Tom Marks over at IGN just wrote an article about Joy-Con drift. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know this happens a lot with Xbox controllers as well, Xbox drift. And if you go onto some forums online, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, my controllers. For me, I've never had a lot of these problems before because I think I just don't use the controllers as much as some of these people that are playing, you know, 30 to 40 hours a week. And I don't know if the Xbox controllers or the Joy-Cons were meant to be used like that. And, you know, I think it's the same thing when you look at games where people are like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a 100-hour game and all that kind of stuff, like getting the most out of it. And, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition is coming out on the Switch this, yep, this, this week, I think. Yeah. Yep. And that's a game where, for me, I'm like, oh, man, I... <laughs> I wouldn't even want to. I, I feel like if somebody gave it to me for free, I would have the anxiety of like I don't I don't have time to play this whole thing. So, you know, it's just uh, well, kind of crazy. Even, I, and I won't even touch upon the whole notion of cost as far as how you appreciate a game. I've gotten games for free, and I I fall off them a lot quicker than had I spent the sixty dollars on it. But um, that's a whole separate issue. No, and and I think part of you know maturing as uh, as an adult and a gamer has taken me down the path of. A hundred hour, you know, JRPG is great. And where am I going to feel satisfied having gotten to a certain point and, and most likely not finishing that game? Um, you know, if it's compelling enough to really push me through it, I, I think that speaks volumes of how great of a game it is. And I, and I think the last game that really did that for me was um, Persona 5. Uh, that took me 120 hours. And that was 120 hours over over probably 13 14 months um and I, I you know i put it down at 40 hours and said okay i've had my fill and then you know hit a winter lull and came back to it but that's that's not a game i could finish in a couple weeks um so i'm looking forward to xenoblade chronicles 2 i'm, I'm going to try and do a review on it um but it, that review is going to trickle in probably later than everyone else's so yeah yeah no i i had the same experience with breath of the wild where, you know, a game hadn't really grabbed me like that for a long time, but yeah, I put probably like 90 hours into it, but that was almost over a year where, you know, had some, some weeks where I put in more than others and kind of walked away from it, came back and all that kind of stuff. But it is daunting, you know, to look at a, a massive game like that. So have you found that your tastes have changed in games as you've grown older so it's it's a constant pull. Like there's this dichotomy of my tastes have changed a little, um, but obviously versus you know, and I work with a lot of high school kids. You know, I, I don't I don't have the wallet of an of a 17 year old anymore. And so when a game comes out, I can go, oh, I can get this. And you know, I can't tell you how many games are on my shelf that are unopened because <laughs> I bought them thinking I would play them, and then only found myself not even getting into taking the wrapper off. Um, 
So I don't know if my tastes have changed. I definitely pay more attention to, you know, um, game news when they're when they're talking about single player campaigns and they say, okay, well, we're, you know, we're targeting something between like 20 to 30 hours. For me, that is the most perfect sweet spot for like a single player campaign. Um, I mean, and even that's really lengthy. I just finished um, the Final Fantasy VII remake and that was probably closer to 36 hours. So even that for me towards the end, I was like, is this going to be done soon? I would like to kind of wrap this up. So really, um, games on the shorter end, people look at and go, well, it's not worth my time. It's a 15-hour game. I, I would embrace it. I would rather have a really tight, you know, 15-hour game than one that's kind of stretched out. It's the reason why Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey is sitting there. Um, you know, I've tried The Witcher 3 a few times, and none of those games have really, you know, compelled me to keep finishing because they're just so dauntingly large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny too. I, I found for myself as I've grown older, like I'm not as interested in story-based games and things like that. Like I kind of just want to get to the action. And so when a game has a lot of story, a lot of cutscenes, a lot of dialogue, that's kind of you know for me, I'm like, uh, okay, let's just like you know get through this. And interesting. Uh, yeah, you know that's why like I, I found Breath of the Wild for me was kind of that perfect. There, there is a little bit of story there, but there's not a lot. There's a couple cutscenes, and that was kind of the perfect mixture of some action, some exploration, some all that kind of stuff. Like I found with that game, I hadn't, I hadn't been grabbed by a game like that. I don't know for more than a decade, probably. But you know, I obviously don't try everything that comes along, so I never played The Witcher or any of the Assassin's Creed games. So I, that was kind of one of my first really open world games where you could go around and, and do things and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, talking about your gaming history. Um, yeah, just getting a little bit of backstory. Obviously, gaming has been a passion throughout your life. What was the first game that you really remember grabbing you? Um, so this was actually a really tough, tough toss-up. Um, I feel like there's there's a lot of things that generationally I feel like I was born in the wrong era, but I do feel like as far as video games go, like I hit the sweet spot. Um, so the NES was my first console that I owned as a kid. I had to have been about five or six years old. And so this was a really tough toss-up. I was between two games um, where I really started to take notice of it as more of a an art and less of a, an activity or something to do. And, and yes, that may sound pretentious coming from a six-year-old, but, um, you know, the original Super Mario Brothers was one of the first games I, I got into remembering this is this is bigger than an objective. The entire game is one one long objective to rescue a princess and defeat the bad guy. And I think anything I'd ever played up to that point was rooted in, you know, the arcade roots of get lots of points and get to the, you know, get a high score and, and climb that leaderboard. And outside of, you know, honing in on a, on, a, on a very narrow skill for that specific game, there really wasn't much driving uh, motivation to, to play. And if those, if those games weren't something I was naturally inclined to be good at, I'd be less inclined to want to play them. And so Super Mario Brothers was like, hey, here's a character and, a, and, a, and an objective that is very clear. So it was one of the first games that I thought was as simple as it is now, very story-driven at the time and spoke to, you know, this whole notion of different worlds and not even like different levels, but each each world was a different theme. And that just kind of made this um, 8-bit, game that probably fits on you know like is the same file size as a picture on my iphone um you know so much larger uh than i ever thought games could be um and it, it that that narrative element for me at least um was really significant and then that that kept me going for a long while um until of course we hit the 16-bit era which i think is the greatest um <laughs> a link to the past legend of zelda link to the past was the first really like big story driven game that I felt like so in tune with emotionally while playing um, that this, it was one of those moments where I was like, this is, this is something special is happening here. And as a player, I was the driving force of it. And that was just a really cool connection to make at a young age that said, this is, this is, this is bigger than entertainment. This is, this is artists and uh, musicians and storytellers doing their craft. And I just like, that resonated with me so much as someone who ended up becoming a very, you know, creative individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a, that is a beautiful game. Um, okay. So 
you know, kind of at that point, you realized maybe that gaming was going to be something for life. Did you go Super Nintendo, N64, GameCube? I mean, did you follow all the the Nintendo consoles? I followed all the Nintendo consoles. Um, I had a Dreamcast at one point. I had a, I had a nice. Panasonic 3DO at one point. <laughs> um, are those worth Gear. something now, or are they still not worth anything? Um, <laughs> apparently, there's like three different variants because Panasonic just kept using different parts for different stuff. So they, they looked, diff- it's weird. Um, so I was, I mean, I was, my mainstay was Nintendo. Uh, it wasn't until probably end of high school, college where we started to, you know, in college, Halo was just everywhere. Um, so it was mostly that Nintendo lineage that I kept. Yeah. And uh, so over the years, what if, like you mentioned, Super Mario Bros. You mentioned Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past. What are some of the most memorable moments for you uh, from your history of gaming? Um, I mean, I I don't know if there's anything like super monumental. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of little things here and there, and it and it it that Zelda series is one that's that's always stuck with me. That's why I've got a few Zelda tattoos. Um. You know, yeah. the moment in, in oh go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I was sorry. just gonna say, so you would have been playing Link to the Past, you know, this is kind of pre internet. Did that game take you a while oh, yeah. to get through or did you have a so, guide or So I was I was obsessed with that game, despite the fact that, you know, from a puzzle standpoint and kind of where to go next standpoint, um, you know, you thrived on either Nintendo Power or whatever came out in tips and tricks and you know, all that stuff. Um but it was one of the first times where I, I went to my mom. I was like, I don't know where to go. And she saw that I was very frustrated about this. But like in a, in a very like emotional context, not like a whiny brat context. Yeah. Um, and so she she told me, she's like, well, you know, is there back in the day, is there any information in the instruction booklet that could help you out? And so I was thumbing through and I was like, no, but there's a number you can call. And she, of course, was like, well, I'm not going to call Nintendo Power at whatever it was a minute. Um, but she actually did call and then ordered the strategy guide for the game. And that helped a little bit, at least get over a few obstacles before I took it the rest of the way. Um, I, I couldn't tell you what the first game I beat on my own where I felt really accomplished. That, that might have been the closest one. But even then, admittedly, I, I had to use a guide. Now, if you ask me to sit down and play it, I can do it blindfolded. In like, <laughs> I haven't speedrun the game, but I have beaten it within 24 hours before. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, I didn't play that game until years later. I had a Super Nintendo, and I played, you know, Super Mario World, Donkey Kong Country, Mario Kart, but I never played uh, Link to the Past till it actually came out on the Wii Virtual Console. And I found it very unintuitive in terms of, like, yeah, where do you go next? How do you do this? And, of course, I was online checking the guides and all that kind of stuff because I was like, I'm not just going to, you know, bomb every wall or whatever like you do in the original Zelda and um yeah i mean it's still a great game but it's just interesting to see how how game development has changed and even from link to the past ocarina of time you know ocarina of time is actually quite linear you know you just go to this go to that it go is. to this yeah and, yeah um yeah but it's just it's just interesting how how that's developed over the years and you know what i don't think link to the past in its time was actually that unintuitive compared to a lot of other games you know oh, like definitely not castlevania yeah. 2s and stuff like that where it's like people were getting stuck uh forever so how has gaming changed for you throughout the years um it's it's probably become a little bit more accessible um both in terms of what i'm able to play and what's what's out there to play um on top of which from a like a social context i think games have have hit that mainstream stretch pretty hard now Mm -hmm. um you know I, i remember in elementary school or even middle school um you know bringing in like gaming magazines and kind of not like being made fun of i was able to hold my own um but kind of being teased for like why are you looking at the same game pro magazine for well, i said well because this game comes out next month and i get one low res screenshot you know 60 days in advance i want to drool over that for a little bit um you know i, I don't think anyone bats an eye now when they're when they're playing a game or or you know getting into stuff and i think that's wonderful um so in that sense it's certainly I guess more socially acceptable to to be into this as an interest and hobby. Um, 
you know, I do get some some diehards that will come up on the street and say, dude, nice tattoo. Um, cool. All right. And then I'll get weird looks from, you know, people that are just like, that's what you chose to put on your body. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's OK. I think both of those things are good. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, I, I'm I'm appreciative of the fact that it's uh, that I've been able to stick with it for as long as I have and that people are starting to kind of come around to no, this this isn't form of entertainment and medium that's not going anywhere. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you talk about accessibility and and for myself, you know, I kind of had a, a space there where I wasn't really into gaming for a while. And then I kind of got back into it and I was going out and collecting stuff and buying stuff. You know, now it's at the point where games have become so cheap, you know, like if you're way, willing to wait three to six months, oh, most games yeah. drop like 75% in price. But not only that, but it's like, you know, on PC epic game store it's like every week it's like here's grand theft auto 5 here's civilization 6 here's you know and games you know on the e-shop there's sales all the time it's just like there's so much to play and it's funny how this whole culture of reviewing games and all that kind of stuff has emerged because you know a lot of us don't even have time to keep track of all the games that are coming out and you know which ones are good and all that kind of stuff but yeah it's interesting like I, I used to get EGM back in the day and oh, sort yeah. of like that was all the information that you would get for like a month about gaming. And now there's podcasts and everything. It's just bam, bam, bam every day, which is right. crazy. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, it's just become so mainstream. Everybody's playing something. Um, even if it's like on their iPad or iPhone or whatever, there's, there's games for everybody of all kinds of different flavors and stuff like that. So, right. And so the problem I think now is more than ever is that we live in a, um, Hey, look what I'm doing kind of mentality. And then as soon as that moment's gone, we just kind of move on to something else. And so, um, you know, I actually, I ran a video game store in Philadelphia when I was, uh, it was right after college. Um, and it was very much driven about like, and this was during the PS3, Xbox 360 era. Like I was there for those launches and, um, you know, a lot of those big titles started to get the notion of, um, hey, this game's going to be huge. You don't want to miss out. And so it would generate a lot of interest and it would sell well. And then it was um, almost immediately, well, this is coming out in a few months. And I feel like that time frame has shortened a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have texted me questions about Animal Crossing because they were just intrigued by how much content was out there as far as you know tweets and social media people talking about this game they were almost like well i wanted to be a part of it and that's really cool um but i think it it you know when that hype train slows down things can fall off so quickly and i don't think that's good for i mean it's probably good for the industry as far as financial stuff but i think as far as you know appreciating works of art that kind of hurts a little yeah, you have these event-based games now, and I think I think Borderlands kind of started this trend. And you know, we got Destiny and all these games that are sort of these like looter shooters that you play together as a group. You had the Division One and Two, and it's just like for a month or two, they're all anybody talks about, and then they kind of move on to the next game, and those right. games kind of left get left behind. And a lot of those games are designed with an experience of you know everybody's playing it all your friends are playing it and all that kind of stuff and then all your friends sort of move on to the next thing and it's interesting how those games are going to be you know pres preserved and and looked back at in retrospective and uh i don't know it's just it is a really interesting time and i think you're right that that hype cycle is getting shorter and shorter um it's like here's the next big game i mean i've been blown away by, by how popular Animal Crossing is, and I think part of it is people had a lot of time on their hands uh, to sure. play this new Animal Crossing. But, you know, I think from the perspective of people that have played Animal Crossing in the past, Animal Crossing wasn't really meant to be just, like, binged, you no, know. It was, no, it's not. It's a, it's a drip feed of do little bits every day, and people are sitting here going, but there's nothing left to do. Well, that's almost the point of the game. Yeah. Well, in two weeks, you know, people are like, I've, I've done everything, you know, I've, I'm, I'm super rich and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm terraforming my island. And uh, yeah, it's just been interesting. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about people's different play styles and stuff like that. Um, how, you know, you've kind of got hardcore gamers and they're looking for the next thing to really sink a lot of hours in. And some games aren't made for that. And some games are. And so it'll be interesting to see how the industry responds to that. I, I think one of the trends I've seen too is, um, 
you've got AAA games and then you've sort of got indie games and the space seems to be growing bigger in between where you used to get games that were like, you know, a double A game or an A game. Um, that kind of remember licensed games, whatever happened to those? Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> just gone. Well, you know, and, and some of these studios that used to make 60, 70 games a year are making, you know, six or seven games a year now, but they're these oh, huge sort of event based games. And it's like, if, the game fails, it's huge financial losses, right? Like they're betting it all. You know, I look at Anthem from from last year, and I don't know how Anthem did financially. Obviously, critically, it was it was panned, but um, you know, it was like they were just betting everything on that game. And one of the things I found interesting was Apex Legends released around the same time and free. was free to play. Yeah, and seemed to do way better. And so, you know, even from those who've been in the industry for a long time, they don't really know what's going to catch on and, and be the next thing. Uh, so, you know, I, for myself, so go ahead. I was gonna say it, it's, it's, they're, they're trying a model similar to the, the film industry now. And, and, um, it, it shows that there's really no very little middle ground, like mm-hmm. you were saying, right? So, you know, the whole, the film industry was built in the eighties and nineties of, okay, here are our, you know, three or four big blockbuster titles that we expect to make hundreds of millions of dollars. And we're going to take that money and then funnel it into these smaller projects. And that'll kind of allow us to maybe at the very least make some money. But if those smaller projects don't do well, then they weren't a huge investment. And then it just kind of became, we're going to pump, you know, $200 million into this film. And we're going to take the billion that we get back and make a sequel and not, you know, do any of that other smaller stuff that they used to do because why make, you know, $10 million on a movie when you can make $700 million on a movie. Um, and so you're right, that that kind of intermediate space has fallen by the wayside. But I also think the perception of that space um, from an audience is, is difficult for them to grasp if you're like an outsider looking in, right? If you have um, a shooter like... Um, I mean, let's just take Call of Duty. You know, how are you supposed to create a military-themed shooter that's going to be similar in mechanics and playstyle at half the budget or a quarter of the budget, and expect to you know do as well uh, as far as game sales and financials go? Um, you know, yeah. I mean, think about the PS1 era. How many World War II shooters were there? I mean, they were a dime a dozen, right? Because everyone was trying to get theirs, and they can compete with one another. I, I just think you look at a, a behemoth like that and say it's not worth the financial risk, so we're not going to take on the creative endeavor. Yeah, and I think a lot of genres have just been sort of thrown out, right? I mean, you're talking about PS1, um, N64, Dreamcast. I mean, how many racing games were on all those systems, right? It was just like oh my God. so say, many right, racing, racing games. Genre, right? And uh, now there's just a couple really tentpole racing games. I mean, Forza is, is probably the biggest one, and uh, everything else has kind of been thrown at the to the side and uh it, you know it's too bad i think everybody that enjoyed the f-zero star wars episode one racer you know even the cruising games you just I had so cru- many I was playing it on the nintendo 64 the other day yeah uh what was it beetle adventure racing i mean yeah. you just had so many of these great little racing games um and it's you know that's that's for me i that's something that i kind of miss and i think a lot of people are going back to that like i think episode one racer is coming out on the switch uh, yeah, in the next couple months, and, and oh, I yeah. read um, I read the other day like it came up in an article something about the next Gran Turismo, and I was like, "Holy! I forgot that even existed." Yeah, because it, you know that's something that just hasn't been uttered in like a decade. So, um, Takes I mean, so that was long. like that was the king of the of racers, right, for such yeah. a long time. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's really changed. You, you even go back to games like um. You know, I think Activision's been doing really well with the remastered games that they've been putting out. So they did Crash Remastered, Spyro Remastered. You know, they're doing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you go back to some of those games and you're like, wow, these are actually pretty small, you know, compared to games that we're getting, you know, right now where they can be um, sort of like beaten pretty quickly, right? Even though, you know, I look at a game like Super Mario 64 people sunk hundreds of hours into that back in the day, you know, but it's probably like a, if you know what you're doing, like a 10 hour game or less, obviously speed runners are doing it in like five minutes, but in six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. 
Uh, so for you, what, what, what generations of gaming have had the biggest impact on you and, uh, how have you seen games and, and the industry change throughout the years? I mean, we've sort of t- touched on this, but. Um, yeah. So th- the biggest for me, it was probably the 16 bit era as I think it was that perfect blend of, I mean, I think more than any generation, those aesthetics held, hold up really well. Yeah. Um, and the Super Nintendo had a killer sound chip in it. So, you know, some of those 16-bit melodies are just freaking fantastic. Um, but I think that was when they were starting to look at some of the more narrative-driven story elements in games. And while mm. it was maybe a little lackluster in presentation, um, you know, I think, and especially being a kid at the time, you, you, you know, kids, I don't know, this was... 30 years ago right so you know i'm not saying that they're not imaginative now but you know the means to sit back and let for lack of a better expression media happen to you right like it's easy to put on netflix and just kind of not even pay attention to it and be on your phone the whole time and really not even embrace uh, entirely both those things you're just kind of passively doing them you know you're as an eight-year-old or 10-year-old playing super nintendo your mind filled in so many gaps Right. Mm-hmm. Of what these characters sounded like or, um, you know, what the environments really looked like and, and all that stuff. And I think that was that was a really cool way to engage where, uh, you know, you let your brain do some of the heavy lifting while they presented things to you. Um, and so the transition to Nintendo 64, I remember um, being in a game store in Long Island and um, seeing just the idle animation of Mario and Mario 64. Um, he was like sleeping. Uh-huh. And I remember looking at that going, I've never seen that before. What, what, what? Is, and I didn't, I didn't say anything. I just saw the TV there and I was just like, I don't know what this is. And I, for the longest time, I was convinced it was um, the Super Mario RPG game. And so when I rented it, I'm like, this isn't what I saw. I didn't know until later it was a Nintendo <laughs> yeah. 64. But I think in that, that early transition to 3D, um, Nintendo did so many things right with Super Mario 64 and, and, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time that those were the template games for how to do 3D well and um that was that was that was a really cool thing to be a part of now it's just we kind of take it for granted that you know character models can do a thousand different things in a thousand different spaces simultaneously if they need to and you know we talk about bloom lighting like we know what it means when really like it looks pretty um yeah. So like for me, like that was that was a that was a bigger evolution than coming from, uh, you know, I'm sure PS4 to PS5 is going to look great. But is it going to knock my socks off in the same way that, you know, uh, moving Mario in a 2D plane to, you know, jumping through a painting to swim in an ocean and ride a dinosaur is going to be I, I just don't know. Yeah, I mean. You got to give props to Nintendo. Um, like the N64 is a little bit controversial, but uh, they hit it out of the park with so many of their franchises adapting it to this new 64-bit console and these 3D spaces. And nobody else seemed to be able to do that. And, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day. They were talking about Sega. And I would love to see you know, some great reinventions of some Sega franchises, but they just couldn't, didn't seem to be able to pull it off really in the 3D era of uh, transitioning their games. But I think you're right, like that Super Mario 64 moment, I don't know if we're going to have that moment again. A lot of people have said maybe it'll be VR, Um, but... Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it was, I remember somebody trying to explain to me, you know, the new Mario game is going to be in 3D and just like what is 3d like how does it work you know like what does that mean math class it's x y and z i'm like oh okay well that (laughs) and i had uh starcraft on the super or it's not starcraft star fox on the super nintendo and so i had like a little bit of an idea uh i still love that game it it's uh it's you have to have nostalgia uh to enjoy it (laughs) it's tough to play though it runs at nine frames a second you're kind of in trouble it was an experiment for sure um yeah, and so you mentioned you had a Dreamcast. Were you were you all in on the Dreamcast? No, actually, um, the Dreamcast was kind of like a secondhand thing. I am I, in high school. I worked at a rip uh, Toys R Us. Yeah, and um, so I think this was in the hey, we're like redoing our whole game section and we're getting rid of these old consoles. They're you know we're just going to basically like not penny them out, but like 
you know, we can sell the the floor Dreamcast. And it was like $19.90. And I was like, for 20 bucks? Hell yeah. And so, you know, I just picked up as many like cheap used games as I could and went home and, you know, played Crazy Taxi and House of the Dead and was like, cool. Like it was very much a um, like it emulated so well, like at the time, modern arcade experiences Mm -hmm. Um, and their sports games were fantastic. I mean, NFL 2K was just wonderful, Um, you know, but anything anything more in the traditional Sega vein, like here's Sonic Adventure. It didn't really do anything for me. I'm trying to think of some of their other titles that are, you know, Jet Set Radio was fun. I mean, they had some weird, quirky stuff, and I've always appreciated them for that. Um, yeah, but Space you know, Channel know, Five, their... yes, yeah, that was the other one. Um, what was the uh, yeah. Samba de Amigo? The with the shakers with or the maracas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I actually never owned a Dreamcast, but I do have little nostalgia for the Dreamcast, and I would love to see a Dreamcast classic. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but uh, have you picked uh, up any classic consoles? I've picked up all of them. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, well, yeah, and even the Sony one, or the PlayStation one, it was like 30 bucks, and I said, all right, that's my it. sweet spot. I'll, I'll bite it. it back here. <laughs> I've played it on one time and it was the capture video for a video that I made. So I didn't really, it was just one of those, uh, maybe in 20 years when all of this is obsolete, um, there'll be some physical collection that I have and I can say, oh yeah, if I really want to go back and play the original, you know, Final Fantasy VII as it was meant to, I can. I won't, but I have the ability. I'll just say, if you want to mod a classic console, the PlayStation Classic is great, especially because you can pick one up for twenty or thirty bucks. But yeah, the uh, out of the box, I don't know what Sony was thinking with that one. So, did you grab the Turbo Graphics uh, sixteen oh, Mini? I I did not get that one. No. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty recent. And uh, did you get the Genesis one? Genesis one, I have Super Nintendo and Nintendo. I haven't modded them. My a buddy yeah. of mine has them modded. I'm I'm paranoid about losing or breaking them. Yeah. And uh, even if like you put the same games back on as a ROM, I don't know how well that emulation is going to compare to what Nintendo did. But I don't know. I know they're they're software emulated anyway, so supposedly they're not true to form. I think unless you buy that two hundred dollar Super Nintendo system, whatever it is, by I forget who makes it. Analog, they, yeah. Is that it? They do that like actual hardware emulation and it's like full on legit, but that's a little too pricey for me. That SNES Classic was, you know, they really nailed it with that. And uh, almost perfect. It kind of redefined the whole. I mean, they did it with the NES Classic too, but you had all these classic at games consoles and things like that that you see at like bed bath and beyond that were just garbage and then all of a sudden nintendo came out with a couple of ones that were just really well done and man i mean if you can find one of those i think they're all sold out now but i would really recommend for anybody who's you know in the classic gaming just the 21 games coming right out of the box are an awesome experience so yeah i would even say not to condone it normally but like even if you can find a reasonably priced one on like ebay that's probably more than what they would sell for i would still say it's worth it because those games are just they hold up so well and if you really wanted to track down each one of those individually i mean your arm and a leg you'd be paying so it might be worth it for a little little bit more money yeah and it's just it's just awesome to have the hdmi out just turn it on play it you know like unless you're a real stickler about playing on original hardware for most people, it's the experience that they're looking for, you know? Right. So hopefully that Nintendo 64 mini is, or classic is coming soon. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I, I've started to give up hope, but, uh, I would be pumped and, uh, they, they got it. They like to throw things just out of nowhere now. So you never know. You just wake up one morning and all of a sudden it's a thing. Cause that's, that's what happened the first time around. Yeah, and they got to get Goldeneye on there, but you know, I I don't think Goldeneye's kind of like Star Fox. You have to have nostalgia for it. It has not aged well, especially once you've played something like Halo. Um, but it's kind of a classic. It defined the N sixty four, and it's it's it would be sad to yeah, see with, it not on there. With three buddies, it would make a pretty decent drinking game too. So you know, it's it, yeah. I mean, they shipped the SNES Classic without Chrono Trigger. Uh, and so I could see them shipping the N64 Classic without Goldeneye, but um, yeah, it's all about that licensing, right? Yeah. Did you tr- did you play a Rare Replay at all on the Xbox One? 
Uh, I did for a little bit, and I, I told myself, okay, I'm going to play through some of these games chronologically. And I went back to their earlier catalog, and I was like, <laughs> oh, these are rough. Yeah. Um, but I was like, okay, well, I never, I never, as a Nintendo kid, I never played Banjo-Kazooie, and so I just thought this would be my opportunity to do it. And um, I, I couldn't even make it past the tutorial. I was like, this game is the characters move so slow <laughs> i remember like having to jump to like learn how to jump and like missing and i'm like i i was frustrated within 10 minutes and i said i, I can't i don't want to do this it's funny so. you know i played super mario 64 and then i went and played banjo kazooie because there's a lot of people out there that would say that banjo is the better game you know and uh you know banjo's a good game but super mario 64 holds up better and i got about halfway through the game and i just thought "Ah, there's just too many things to find and do and all that kind of stuff and um but i felt like rare replay in general though the the treatment especially of the n64 games was really really well done and just going back in and changing some of those controls on jet force gemini perfect dark i think perfect dark I, i spent some time with yeah they controlled much better and apparently they made a GoldenEye game, but they, they couldn't work out the rights or things like that. So uh, hopefully bummer. somebody will leak that with all these leaks going on lately. <laughs> Once Pierce Brosnan says it's okay. That's right. Uh, so, you know, you've been gaming for years. Um, things have obviously changed as you got older. And Level 30 Games happens. What inspired your YouTube channel, Level 30 Games? It's a little, it's a, it's a selfish story, actually. Um, so I, I had a couple of friends that over, over the years would say, oh, I'm going to, you know, make this gaming website. Do you want to, you know, write some stuff for it? Okay, sure. And I would make something and I'd give it to them. And they'd be like, great. Once I get everything from everybody else, we'll put it all up there and we'll celebrate, blah, blah, blah. And it never ended up happening. Like every single time it was just nothing. And so um, this channel was born out of uh, the need to... <laughs> to pad my resume um so this might be a little scandalous because I, I love where i work i love teaching um you know and i i i would not give it up unless it was for like my dream job and that would be to do something in video games broadcasting or, and journalism um and so you know it was it was like winter spring of 2018 yeah because i think it's been two years since the channel launched and um IGN, which I'm a big fan of. I know they get a lot of slack just because, you know, they're the New York Yankees of video game reporting, right? They're the Uh biggest, so everyone hates them. I I think they're great. I love their personalities. Um, Was hiring for a, like, for their Nintendo, you know, section, division, whatever. And I was like, oh, I I have to apply. I mean, Uh I I have experience in in broadcasting. I worked at a TV station um, for a little while in Philadelphia. Uh, I have a degree in broadcasting communications. Um, I've been teaching for a while doing media arts. I'm, I'm a filmmaker, you know, I do stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I have zero YouTube and social media experience. And that was something they were looking for. I said, all right, well, you know what, maybe if that's my weak link, that's fine. But in the interim, let's, um, let's make some videos. And so, uh, it was reflective of what I was playing at the time, or maybe had recently finished. And so I did, um, I did a review of, um, Mario versus Rabbids and I did a review of Splatoon and I shot like a, a little intro video and I threw them up on YouTube and you know in my resume for IGN I, I put links to those videos and uh and sent it on its way and of course I never heard anything um you know and so th- that is what it is that's fine um but I was like all right well I want to do something with these videos and so the next day like being a uh, I'm showing, I guess I'm showing my age now. Um, is that because I had no idea at the time how, how Reddit worked, right? But I just knew that that was a forum for stuff. And I had been following um, the Nintendo Switch subreddit for, I mean, at least a year when it was still the Nintendo NX subreddit. And, uh, you know, I was, I was a member early on. And so I said, all right, well, I've been kind of part of this community. Um, I'm going to put a post in there about my channel and what I'm all about. And, uh, you know, link the first video in there. And um, I remember the first reaction or first comment on that post was, dude, get your crap down. You're not supposed to spam with links. This wasn't a, a moderator. This was just some jabroni. And, and like immediately my heart kind of sank. And I was like, 
I'm going to get ripped apart by the internet for this. <laughs> and it, and I never put anything out there that, you know, was questionable. Like I said, I do, I do short films and, and film projects for myself. And so, you know, those I'll do for like festivals. And I know when I do that, that's quality work. Um, but this was kind of like, I, I felt a little exposed and I didn't contemplate, am I going to get ripped to shreds on a very personal level by people that I don't know? And, um, Thankfully, that one comment was was the only one because that that post kind of exploded in a really positive way. Um, and so I just I remember sitting there like not wanting to to leave the computer and I would constantly like refresh and make comments on people's comments and follow up with questions. And I'm, I'm sitting here watching the view count go up and go, oh, my God, this is this is unreal. I never expected this. Um and that was that was over two years ago now, and that was <laughs> that's the highest it's ever been. So uh, it's been an interesting journey since then. But yeah, it was kind of born born out of uh, my desire to try and get a professional gig, um, mm-hmm. and it just kind of spawned into what it is now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Actually, I think I remember that was the after Philip Musin departed IGN that that uh, yep. they were posting was, about that. I was like, I could do better than this guy. I mean, yeah, you know, <laughs> I could write something original. Uh, we won't get into we won't get into that uh, today. So you start the channel. What's your journey been like on on YouTube? I mean, you mentioned like it's it's kind of like exposing yourself a little bit. You're putting stuff out there, and uh, people can comment on it and all that kind of stuff. What's that been like? Um, it's it's I don't know how to explain it other than to say I I I don't know what it would be like not having it be there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's it's a big part of my life. I'm not even saying it's the one of the more important parts of my life and kind of by design, right? Like when I have time to do things, I can do things for it. And when I don't, I don't. And that's to the detriment of the channel. But, um, you know, kind of having schedules or, or hey, me and, you know, uh, one of our team members, Mike, like, oh, we're going to get together this weekend and just you know, record three episodes of this, you know, series and, um, cool. We have that to look forward to. And we can, you know, it gave us something to, you know, talk about and socialize about. And for that, I'm, I'm so thankful of it. Cause I got to get to know these people a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've already lost my train of thought on the original, <laughs> original question. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Um, Just talking about what the journey has been like and, and what you've learned so far. I guess, I guess eye-opening, um, you know, the one thing that I've always stressed with my students, because I teach, I teach television broadcasting and media production, is that um, the, what seems like when they watch, you know, they go to a channel and they watch someone on YouTube, what they're seeing to them comes off as if it's just kind of flying by their seat of their pants and they're winging it and that's why it's so great. And I, I keep having to, you know, stress home to them, it's not. It's designed to look that way and to make you feel and think that way. But this is really scripted. Um, it's it's heavily planned and produced. And you know, there's there's a there's a a message and intent here. Um, this 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 stuff isn't easy to do, and uh, it takes a lot of planning and preparation. I, I mean, I, I to some degree have a science down for reviews. I I can write a review, shoot it and edit it probably within 24 hours. If I, if push came to shove and I've done that, I've written on Friday night, the episodes fully edited and posted by Saturday evening. Um, that's a grueling schedule. Yeah. And you fit that in with everything else you got going on. You know, when, when full-time, you know, content creators are, you know, trying to make a name for themselves or, or, you know, Hey, support my Patreon. Um, like, they know what it takes to to make this these things a reality, and it it doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of hard work, and um, I, I think because of that, it, it's allowed me to stay a little bit more focused. You know, it's it's one more thing to prioritize amongst a sea of of things to prioritize. Um, but it's nice knowing that even if it does feel like work sometimes, um, you know, it's 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 a creative endeavor, and it's it's a personal time for me to to enjoy doing something. I mean. If I know I have a video coming up, that means that when I look at my schedule for the week, all right, I have to carve out, you know, an hour or two to sit down and play this game and capture some footage. You know, I can bill that as work. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I got two hours on Thursday night. I'm going to sit down and play a video game. And that, and that's just that's really that's really good because otherwise I might not get a chance to. So, yeah, um, it's it's been a lot, but it's it's rewarding in its own right. It's it's 
defeating in its own right. You know, um, I put up a video essay uh, recently because the channel's been a little slow with everything going on, of course. And I mean, it was it was a different style, kind of a different format. And, um, you know, I was like really proud of it. But I mean, I took most of my school's spring break to put that together. And I, I think it's got like 170 views. And like, you know, I, I didn't think that was going to be something to get out of a rut. But I'm just like, I was really hoping for more. And I know at the end of the day, that's not really what matters. So I can shake that off really quickly. I'm not making a living by it. I'm not like so emotionally invested where if a video tanks, we just kind of go, okay, how many subscribers are we going to lose the next video that comes out? And it's, it's kind of become an in-joke with, uh, with the team. Um, you know, and so that's the other joke. We'll, we'll ride this thing until everyone decides this channel's not worth it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, uh, it's it 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 has been a journey and and you know part of that is just being able to get really great highs and and have really low lows and hopefully they balance out and sometimes they do and sometimes you hit a low streak for a long while but um you know just not letting it deter you and kind of keep going so when your students come to you and they say hey i want to i want to do youtube full time what's some of the advice that you give them um shut up and do it Mm -hmm. Uh, because a lot of them say that and then a lot of them get themselves in these cycles of well i don't have a camera do you have a phone yeah okay you can do it um i don't have a capture card um okay do you uh, you know like there's there's always something that they'll kind of roadblock themselves and Mm -hmm. i think one of the biggest pieces of advice is 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 just to do it it's it's it if you expect it to be perfect immediately you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And I I tell my students all the time with their video projects, because they're getting into something that is so new, you were, you were going to improve from September to June without question. All Mm -hmm. right. In, in June, look back at what we did in September and October, and you're going to go, Ugh, I can't believe I made that. You're so much better now. And I think that tangible growth is really important for them to see because, you know, come June, I can say, okay, you, you like your project now, and that's great, and you didn't like where you were, but let's look at the calendar, all right? You you were not flawless immediately, and so many kids just want to be perfect right out the gate mm-hmm. um, that you just you have to kind of learn by doing. And so um, if you want to start a YouTube channel, start a YouTube channel. If it's uh-huh. just you and your friends, that cool, but you're going to get practice, and you're going to learn tech stuff, and you're going to learn analytical stuff, and like all those things that you know, no one really talks about that you start to go, oh, okay, wait a minute, this is an obstacle that I had last time. Uh, by the 10th video, you might not have that obstacle anymore. But if that one obstacle prevents you from even starting, then the, you're hurting yourself. So, you know, if you're going to do it, just do it. And don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about an audience. Um, don't worry about, you know, I mean, worry about your content. But like, like, you'll find yourself and your groove as you start to do things. Yeah, it's funny, you know, a lot of people are talking about the uh, <clears throat> Joe Rogan Spotify deal that just happened. And uh, they say, like, Spotify paid him, like, $100 million to get exclusive rights to his podcast or whatever. And I was no, on YouTube. I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah. So he, no. he's going to be exclusively distributed through Spotify now. But I think he's still going to be on YouTube. And they say he got paid, like, $100 million or something like that. And it's funny, I was on YouTube today and somebody put together kind of a highlight reel of, of some of his videos and going back to, you know, I didn't really see his podcast till it was on trending and he was interviewing, you know, Bernie Sanders or whoever, but looking back at his old videos, they look so bad. I mean, just really like just him in front of his computer and like not good camera quality and everything like that. And, you know, obviously he was a professional and worked in the entertainment industry before, but it goes to show, you know, how much someone can grow and that you sort of do just have to start and and learn as you go if you're ever going to get better and get to that level. So, uh, yeah, I think that's some really, really good advice. So, you know, moving on, what are some games or developments in gaming that you are most excited for in the next few years? Obviously, um, schedules for game releases and things like that are kind of up in the air right now, but let's... We'll, we'll we'll put that aside and just talk about what are some of the things on the horizon that you're really excited about. Um, it's a t- it's a tough horizon. Like I look at 
okay, we're, we're on the, the cusp of a new hardware cycle, right? So we'll have Xbox One X with a weird name. Um, and then the <laughs> PS5, which is boring, but at least it's it's marketable and understanding uh, or understandable. Um, I, I almost feel like to some degree, one of those systems will be a given and I go, OK, I'm just going to buy this so I can play that next gen stuff. But I'll be honest, it doesn't really excite me, um, you know, playing games the same way that look and run and perform better isn't as interesting to me as say like and it giant question mark, but like what's coming after the switch for nintendo Mm -hmm. um i I hate to keep kind of coming back to you know being the nintendo homeboy but you know they they take creative risks in a way that as a creative individual kind of excites me now from a financial standpoint some of those risks have not paid off um and their track record has been very roller coastery right um i mean the gamecube was that was the oh my god they're gonna go the way of sega and just do software and then you know, the Wii hit and people were like, ah, that was wrong. And then the Wii U came and they're like, well, they're going to go and, you know, abandon hardware. And then the, you know, 3DS picked it up. So I, I'm kind of curious what they're doing. I'm excited for Breath of the Wild 2. Um, I'm excited for The Last of Us 2. I, you know, there's just, I don't know if there's any one thing where I'm saying this is going to be the most exciting future for video games. I'm not saying that this generation won't have its moments, but right now I can't even foresee what that's going to be that kind of makes me get up and go, okay, but this is coming and that's going to be worth waiting for. I just, I don't know, right? Two years ago it was VR and VR is a little bit more mainstream, but not super accessible. And, um, you know, I I think that had its moments and I think that moment's gone. So I, I don't, I have no idea. If they came up and said, we're going to have some avatar, you know, surrogate type thing where you lay in a chamber and you <laughs> enter a world like Ready Player One. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. If I'm sitting on my couch with a, with a controller in my hand eating Cheez-Its, I've been doing that for, you know, 25, 30 years. So I, I want to be excited, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I think that uh, you look at this generation coming up, PS5, Xbox Series X, you know, there's a lot of confusion right now. We haven't really seen many games. It sounds like, I mean, even Phil Spencer coming out and saying, well, yeah, for the first year and a half of Xbox Series X, all the games are going to be games that can run on the Xbox One and on the base Xbox One. So you're thinking like, okay... How is that possible? With PS5, we haven't even seen any of the big games yet. And I think for myself as well, getting hyped about the next generation, I need to see how this is going to change the games that I I play and and what new developments and how we play are going to happen. Because if it's just, here's Final Fantasy VII Remake, but it's in 4K now or it's in 8K now, you know, I mean... right. For us, I think old school gamers, like 720p still looks really, really good. Like, I think 720p looks good. I'm not, you know, I don't have a 4K TV and a lot of people don't. And so, yeah, to me, it's going to be a really, really interesting next gen with a long sort of crossover period, even longer than, you know, PS3, Xbox 360 to Xbox One, PS4, where I think a lot of... Uh, game developers are going to be thinking, okay, I got 100 million or more people who own a PS4 right now and 5 million people who own a PS5. You know, which system am I going to make a game for, especially if there's some cross-compatibility or backwards compatibility there? So also people not in the financial position that they need to be this fall when this stuff launches as well. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a real slow Um, adoption rate. Yeah, and and so I, I think all those things kind of culminate to we're going to have slow rollout of hardware because I'm sure manufacturing now is going to be tough. Um, financial end of it, like you said, I, I, if, if they came out and these systems aren't priced right, but if they said, all right, well, PS5 is going to cost $599, which is what my guess is. I think it's going to be expensive. Yeah. I, I, if you're asking me to pay that money at the start of the school year, I, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And so I know some people can, and that's great. Um, but it, yeah, I think until we start seeing some games that really impress like that tech demo for ps5 came out and like i heard the word triangles more in six minutes than i did <laughs> like in elementary school learning about shapes um yeah you know that 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 didn't do anything for me i mean when when it's all about the games and you're going to tout your hard drive specs it's hard i mean and 
as a tech nerd, hard drive specs will get me excited, but okay, like you got to give me more than that. And they haven't really shown that yet. So, yeah. And I think not to Nintendo fanboy as well, but you know, the switch launched with breath of the wild and it was portable. And I don't think there was anything else that compared to that, uh, that experience on a handheld, but not only that, you could put it on your TV, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Breath of the Wild is not the greatest looking game of this generation, but it's a huge game. It's been really popular. And to me, it looks great. Like, it looks fine. I don't have any problems with it. No, it's all about that art direction over yeah. graphics. So. so when you look at a game like Breath of the Wild 2, what are your hopes for that game? Um, so I'm, I'm one of the few that I really liked. I mean, I, I was a fan of the, that Zelda formula, right? Where some of the level or parts of the world or, or dungeons locales were like item locked. Um, and there was a natural progression. I enjoyed, uh, the dungeons and the boss fights were, were, were so unique and it was always interesting, you know, what the theme of this dungeon is going to be. And yeah, eventually after a few times of the, um, you know, your fire dungeon, your ice, like all that stuff, you, you expect your expectations were like, oh, this is, yeah, I expect the fire boss to have to like use bombs or whatever. Um, but I, I, I think there was something cool with that. And I think that was lost in Breath of the Wild a little bit. Like the, the Divine Beast bosses were not very interesting to me. And the aesthetic of those dungeons was really kind of boring. Um, and so I would like to see, I would like to see that on top of a more character-driven story focus hmm. i know that wasn't their their main focus the first time around because it was serving the purpose of the world and the ability to go everywhere um but some of my favorite zelda games are the ones where you meet a lot of quirky characters and um you know there's a you do get those cutscenes between uh zelda and link i mean skyward sword in retrospect not as great as it was when i first played it but I mean, the 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 story parts of that game I thought were fantastic. Um, you know, seeing them interact with one another was just really really cool, and I, I would like something along those lines. Yeah, I think Skyward Sword is in. You, you always see the the downtrend of a Zelda game. It comes out, everybody loves it, and then people are like, eh, "This game's got a lot if, of problems." If they can if they can remaster it and take out those motion controls, then yeah. I'll be fine. It was swinging that sword in a weird angle, which I couldn't. It just I just waggled until it worked. It's for funny. Or for worse. The Skyward Sword demo, I was actually in a Toys R Us and I played that. And at the time, I didn't own any consoles. And I was like, I went to a Toys R Us and I played that demo. And I was like, I got to get a Wii. And I eventually did get a Wii and I bought Skyward Sword and it's still sitting sealed in its <laughs> package. And I've never played it. Uh, oh. But, you know, I, I will say the Wii Motion oh, Plus was kind of the dream that uh, the regular week remotes couldn't deliver on. Uh, so are you wanting co-op in Breath of the Wild 2 or playing a Zelda or anything like that? Oh, I'll play a Zelda. I don't think a co-op would be good. I, 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 that's a journey I want to take on my own and experience without the, the cumbersomeness of having to rely on someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, I, or it could be like uh, the PlayStation 2 game Ico, right? Where you kind of have to escort. But I also mm. think Zelda's at a point character-wise where she's 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 too she's too badass to be escorted by this silent dude so i don't know i i would be fine with any of that I, i'm the series is in good hands i'm not you know the misses yeah. as far as the zelda franchise go are, are few and far between so i'm not terribly worried about that so i gotta ask you you know if you could if you could get any you know three nintendo games you know in the next two years what games would you like to see, whether it's like resurrecting a franchise, a sequel, what would be your sort of dream releases? That that don't exist already? Like, I'll take yeah. Breath of the Wild 2 off the table. Like, if we know that's coming, so I can't count that? Okay. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> I would like a... I want I want to round out the trilogy to Super Mario Galaxy. Okay, yeah. Um... I'm a big fan of the old Camelot Mario sports titles. So oh, nice. whether it's Super Mario Strikers or um, I, I would actually honestly love over that Mario Golf to come back. In a, mm. like, I think that game would look so beautiful on a Switch. Um, and, you know, I would, I would like to see the proper resurrection of either an F-Zero game or um, 
a Star Fox game. Like Star Fox Zero on the Wii U just did not do it for me. So I would like to see something a little bit more, um, like better, I guess, for lack of a better word. I, you know, Star Fox, in my opinion, is the coolest character that Nintendo has. And there's so much that could be done with him. You know, even like, I know Star so then, Fox Adventures is not. Which was going to be my question. So what's your take on Star Fox Adventures? I actually, I, I liked it. I think it's fine. I mean, it was an early GameCube game. It looks really, really good. I mean, I, I yeah. put it in the GameCube a couple years ago and just was like, wow, the detail on his fur and everything like that is super impressive for like, I think it's 2001 or maybe 2002. Um, yeah, maybe. I would love to see a Star Fox game in the format of Breath of the Wild where you kind of land on, you know, maybe a space station with different biomes and you're picking up jetpacks and different weapons and sort of like exploring and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think there's so well, that much. That was kind of like, um, that was kind of like Starlink, right? Oh, yeah. The... I didn't play Starlink. So I, I put a good chunk of time into it. And the Switch version you can play as, you know, Fox McCloud right from the get go. And they, they had their own special storyline for him. It's it's pretty much that. It's very much a fly in space, go to a planet, you land on that planet, it all happens in real time, very little loading. It's a pretty game, it just was a little repetitive. I would check it out. It's frequently on sale. If you can pick it up for like 15, 20 bucks, you might find that that's the Star Fox game that you've always wanted that Nintendo just never made. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the, the two GameCube Star Foxes, so Star Fox Assaults and yeah. Adventures. There was interesting ideas in there, and I think there's a lot to revisit. And I think you're right. I mean, I'm I'm tired of them sort of remaking Star Fox 64. I think Star Fox 64 is a, a great game, and the the th Star Fox 64 3D was great. But you know, so much they could do with that franchise. A great set of characters, and uh, it would be cool to see them dive in. I also F Zero, F Zero GX is so good unfortunately the GameCube one? yeah to get it on on gamecube i think you're looking at like a 100 bucks for a used copy of uh f-zero well, gx good, which is no because i have it so oh do you all right well hey man that's yeah. that's your that's retirement game for us yeah, that's right uh that game was great and um for me one more one would just be wave race i loved wave race 64 uh and i thought all nintendo's kind of extreme sports games wave race pilot wings um 1080 1080 while we're at it man they gotta revisit that and and make some great sports games but they haven't really done anything like that that was kind of the 90s you know you had to have those extreme sports games and uh right i thought they had some some good ones there so what are three games that you would consider a must play for our listeners oh any any oh man that's this it's a tough <sighs> question it's an impossible question. <laughs> um, you know, like what? Are, what are we? Any generation? Any console generation? We can just go back. Yeah. As... Well, I don't want to double dip into Zelda because I have two titles that I think would work really well: Link to the Past or Ocarina of Time. I mean, I, I'm going to say Ocarina just because of I don't know something about the tone of that game. I, I think it's just. It's so masterfully done. I think that game is is one of the few games I would say is is flawless. Um, so I'm going to say Ocarina of Time. <sighs> oh man, I I'm trying to think of like my top like five games of all time, and which one of those would appeal to everyone. I think um, let's go Super Nintendo Super Mario World as a platforming game. Yeah. Um, because that I think that is bar none the best Mario game ever, um, and that that's a very that's a that's a tight list. I don't think you can you can go wrong in that one. I'm, I'm like glancing around my room to see like <laughs> what can I look at that will give me a great idea. Um, yeah. Oh God, I you know, and if we want to go, if we want to mix it up entirely, um, then I'll, I'll throw a more contemporary JRPG in there. I, I'm gonna say. I think Persona 5 probably nudged its way into my top five games of all time mm -hmm. um, once I completed it. And I know that's that's kind of a, a niche title. It's probably the largest or uh, most well-received Persona game to date. Um, but I, I love everything like, you know, Japanese culture related. So that one spoke to me a little bit. I, I just thought that was a really cool journey with a cast of characters that over 100 some hours you get to know really well. Mm -hmm. um, 
and because I don't want to throw another Zelda title in there, I can't say Breath of the Wild. Um, so I know that's that's like a really oddball one to throw in there next to two classic Nintendo titles, but um, I'm trying to think of game. Oh shoot, man! I'm thinking. God of War was really great. That came out in 2017. Celeste is you know one of my favorite games of like the last 10 years. There's there's a lot. I mean, those are all you can't go wrong. I'm breaking the rules. I, I named that's more than right. three. <laughs> it happens. Uh, would you put Final Fantasy VII Remake in your in your top ten? I enjoy the heck out of it, but I also played it having never played the original. Hmm. Um, and so I tried to play the original like a decade ago, and I'm like, this game looks terrible. I, I just <laughs> it does not hold up well graphically. Yeah. Um, so I've been more inclined to go back and play the original now that I've completed the remake. Um, so it's hard to throw the remake on there. I think the audience for that game is is kind of like, well, who's this for? It's it's part of the game. It changes a few things, but it's not the whole story. Like I think I think they set out to make a game that they know they would never be able to do in its entirety. Like imagine Final Fantasy VII remake, but the entire Final Fantasy game. I, that they'd be working on that for twenty years. The way Square Enix does their stuff. So. I, that's a hard one to recommend. I enjoyed it thoroughly, and it was it was beautiful. Um, I, I mean, and the the voice acting props like just outstanding. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if I would say quintessential games yeah. to play. Yeah, especially because the ending's so confusing. <laughs> that's what I've heard. I haven't played Final Fantasy VII Remake, and uh, I've been looking at they, they've they've ported Final Fantasy VII to you know Switch, Xbox, PS4, and and apparently there's some quality of life improvements there, but. Uh, you know, it's one of those massive JRPGs where I'm like, ah, right. I don't really know if I can if I can dive if into I that have the right time. now. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, Tom, can you let us uh, let our audience know where they can find you? And uh, actually, let's first let's talk about. Uh, do you have any highlights or anything coming up on the horizon happening on Level Thirty Games? Anything uh, that you're working on? I- I wish um, I, I'm going to be doing a review on Xenoblade Chronicles uh, Definitive Edition for the Switch probably this weekend. I don't know when that's going to hit. It's probably going to be a while. Um, and then uh, everything else that we normally do, it's tough to do given our current you know global situation going on. So podcasting, we've done an episode. It's just you know uh, there are it's me and four other people on the channel, um, and we all work in the school system. So when the stars align and we're able to carve out a chunk of time for three of us to sit down and do a podcast, it's it's like like an act of God because it just doesn't really ever happen that we have the time to do it at the same time. Um, but we uh, we're, we're looking to hit our, our first double digit podcast episode. So we've made it to 10, which better late than never. Um, that will be coming soon. Um, I've been doing a Let's Play series of uh, a replay of The Last of Us in preparation for the sequel coming out in June. Um, and so other than that, everything else is, is a little bit slower right now as far as getting content out. Hopefully it'll pick up over the summer when the school year ends and, you know, we can actually hang out with people face to face again. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. And so we've got level 30 games on YouTube. Is there anywhere else, social media where, where you want people to find you? All of it. Um, it's just, (laughs) uh, Instagram is probably our most frequently trafficked and, um, you know, social media out that we pay attention to. Um, we have a Twitter, but it very infrequently gets used. And we have a Facebook, and that very infrequently gets updated. Um, so Instagram is probably the place to go. We used to have a website, but we closed that down. So we're eh, we're still figuring stuff out. But, you know, it's all, all of it's at Level 30 Games, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, on YouTube. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tom, for sharing with us today. It was awesome to hear your story and a little bit about your channel. Oh, my Uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This is great. Yeah, and thank you for everybody watching and listening. Feel free to like and hit that subscribe button. And you can follow me at JohnJ3000 on uh, Twitter and Level 30 Games on YouTube. Check out some of their reviews, their podcasts, and they've got lots of features, Let's Play, uh, all sorts of things going on. Thank you very much, Tom. My pleasure. Thank you.